Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Castagnetti, Rosen and Thomas. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. Thanks to all of you who have reached out to ask where in the hell we've been. All I can say, folks, is it's been busy, all been minding the business that pays us, to borrow a phrase. And what might that entail? Well, let's set the scene. There is so much drama in the WDC. Bicameral drama. After a largely drama-free leadership election for House Democrats, the House Republican Conference is consumed by speculation over Speaker-designate Kevin McCarthy's chances for formal election on the floor. And after some minor drama in the Senate Republican leadership elections, Senate Democrats opted in on the action with Senator Kirsten Sinema's announcement that she is leaving the Democratic Party to become officially an independent. There's lame duck drama. The current funding resolution expires in five days. The annual Defense Department authorization is still working its way through Congress. Santa's two weeks away, and the 118th Congress is just three weeks out. So where to begin? Well, it's our last 2022 in 22 minutes with Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. Bruce, David, welcome to 14th and G. Happy holidays, Dean. Thank you, Dean. It's uh, good to be back. It is good to be back. And David, I'm going to start with you because there has been an intervening event since we last spoke. The people have spoken. Damn it. Uh, they they did speak, and uh, I seem to recall, maybe it was back in October, explaining to you that uh, uh, I was telling you there was a chance, and as it turns out, there was a chance. <laughs> David, uh, Bruce the- and I have given you grief all year, and uh, look, I'm, I'm prepared to eat my portion of crow. Well, let's just quickly sort of review where we uh, ended up here. Uh, obviously, the Republicans took the House. They went plus nine in the uh, election. Over in the Senate, the big surprise was that the Senate didn't uh, just hold, but the Democrats managed to pick up a seat. And then in the governor's races, they also, uh, the Democrats picked up two seats. So it, it, they did much better than expectations. Uh, it's the advantage of setting very low expectations is that when you exceed them, things look pretty good. And I will say Democrats feel pretty good uh, in the Uh, We're right in the heart of the lame duck, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, a little bit later here. Democrats are in a uh, very good mood. They're feeling upbeat. Uh, There are a lot of changes going on, uh, but they did not get shellacked. And uh, Democrats are really used to getting shellacked in these midterm elections. So all in all, it was a pretty good night uh, for the Dems. Well, Bruce, you know, there is much uh, gnashing of teeth and rending of garments on the Republican side. Is this all uh, was this all an expectations game in the elections? I mean, Republicans flipped the House, uh, retired Nancy Pelosi from the speakership. It, we, it, the Senate is uh, is, is going to be 51, 49 Democrat after uh, Raphael Warnock's successful reelection in Georgia. But. Is there that much to cry over? Well, to your point, happiness equals reality minus the expectations. And, and and maybe on the last of these podcasts, we were right amidst the red wave uh, fever, um, believing, you know, we're going to pick up 412 house seats. And it, <laughs> people were going kind of crazy when in retrospect, when you start at 212, 213, you don't have that much room to pick up anyway. You know, I look at the Senate 
And one of the observations is there were 17 Senate races in states that Donald Trump had won in 2020. And in 2022, all 17 Trump states went red. 16, 15 of 16 Biden states went blue. Only Ron Johnson, where Biden barely won, Biden, uh, Johnson barely held on. You know, if the only thing we had known heading into the midterms was that the president's party holds the Senate in his first midterm election, you should have bet that they continue holding the Senate because eight of the last nine times the president's party held the Senate going into his first midterm election. He held it coming out. Now, that's not to take away from DT and the Democrats. They outperformed averages for sure. You were supposed to lose 30 seats in the House. You only lost nine. Uh, but again, a lot of and you're supposed to lose two Senate seats. You picked up one. But I mean, Trump picked up two um, in uh, in the midterm election of 2018. A lot of it is what states are in play. A lot of it is what's the state size of the majority going in. And, and I do feel that for Republicans, the real Charlie, Lucy Brown and the football event was the expectations of, you know, high 20 pickup in the House. Uh, and and if we take a look at the Senate, given the headwinds of crime and the economy and inflation, Republicans should have done better than minus one in the Senate, which leads us to candidates, DT. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to pick right up there, Bruce, if you didn't mention it. The fact is, is that Republicans missed an incredible opportunity here because they nominated the wrong people. Republicans should have been should have been able to pick up at least a few of these seats in Georgia, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in New Hampshire. What was the common theme in all those races? First time candidates who weren't very good. It's hard to run for uh, statewide office here. And none of these candidates uh, ran very good campaigns here. And what's the common thread amongst the four that I just mentioned? All endorsed by Donald Trump. Now, what I will say is this. Republicans are trying to have it a little bit of both ways here, just saying, well, this was a Trump thing. It was a Trump thing. The fact is, Republicans, year after year after year, nominate knuckleheads. It happened in 2017 in Alabama when Roy Moore got nominated. He subsequently lost. It happened in 2010 with Christine O'Donnell in Delaware. These are seats that Republicans should pick up. But it seems like, particularly in the Senate, Republicans have totally lost uh, any ability to try to control who gets nominated in these races. And as a result, it's a missed opportunity for Mitch McConnell again. He won't serve as majority leader, uh, at least for another two years. You know, they just can't seem to get a handle on on the candidates that uh, they want to have. Run. Hey, look, it's it's a completely it's a completely fair point. We have been lamenting the nominating contests of 2010 and 2012. I mean, I can still rattle off uh, Christine O'Donnell, Sharon Angle, Todd Aiken these nominees for over a decade, Bruce. And now we're going into a 2024 cycle uh, where Democrats ought to be on the ropes in the Senate. Uh, you know, take, take the, take the cinema race uh, in Arizona to start with, you know, what <laughs> are, are Republicans going to nominate Joe Arpaio or, or Carrie Lake and run up this hill again? Uh, there is every reason to presume that we will not learn the lessons of history. Yes. Let's hope not. Look, in 2010 and 2012, the, the R's didn't pick up the Senate. They should have. McConnell took it, uh, un took control in 2014, got involved in primaries, beat back the really unqualified candidates. And lo and behold, the Republicans pick up the Senate. DT, of course, is a thousand percent right. Trump's influence in the 2022 midterms was as detrimental as his influence in the runoff in 2021 in Georgia, in the presidential in 2020, in the House in 2018. But he didn't invent the populist fire. He just threw a bucket of gasoline on it. 
And Republicans have been running anti-establishment for a while now. What we find is the the kind of the Trumpian MAGA establishment is bad worldview punches above its weight in primaries and meaningfully below its weight in general elections. Look, I want to get, you know, post-election has left the 118th Congress uh, in, in a very interesting posture uh, with, once again, very close margins. And I want to get to that, but we've got some business to tend to first. Uh, we're still here in the lame duck session of the 117th Congress, uh, fiscal year 23 funding. The current, uh, the current resolution funding the government expires on the 16th. The National Defense Authorization Act, uh, one of those must-pass bills that, that authorizes the Defense Department every year, uh, is, is worked its way out of the House. It's in the Senate. Uh, DT, uh, your guys still uh, run the show, House and Senate. What are the prospects? Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with funding here over the next ten days. Well, let's take a look at the uh, calendar here. So it's Monday the twelfth, which means we have twelve days until Christmas Eve. So we've got the twelve days of Christmas here. What do we have to get done? One giant appropriation bill uh, will be the the first thing on the list, and. There hasn't been a lot of progress in uh, on that uh, vehicle this week here. We're still uh, hearing a lot about negotiations on top-line numbers. Um, there is a lot of incentive to get it done because um, Senators Shelby and Leahy, the old bulls of the Senate Appropriation Committee, are retiring. They would like to get one more bill under their belt before they uh, head back to Alabama and Vermont, respectively. Boy, we're running out of runway. We've only got a few days uh really left here if they're going to try to get it done. They will absolutely need another CR. The current CR expires at the end of the week. Uh, the expectation is that it will go to December 23rd. And then the question is, if they can't get it done, do they come back between Christmas and New Year's a scenario that nobody uh, wants to have happen? There's got to be a lot of progress in the next couple of days. I still think there is a narrow path to get that done. Uh, as far as some of the other items, NDAA made a lot of progress in the past week here. So I think the annual defense bill uh, that always gets done will get this done this time as well. And then you've really got some other cats and dogs that are hanging out there, particularly tax extenders, which I know we spend a lot of time talking about. And um, that one is looking like a tough putt as well. You know, with the the 12 days until Christmas Eve, all uh, my eyes are just on the approach process at this point. Uh, uh, yeah. And appropriations is tough. It's, you know, this, this really comes down to this question of uh, you're getting an increase in defense spending. Uh, Democrats uh, for for a long time have have demanded uh, dollar for dollar parity uh, on increases in domestic spending, uh, and the 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 rub really is that Republicans are saying, "Look, you got your giant reconciliation bill in the uh, I'll say ironically named Inflation Reduction Act, but Democrats got an enormous amount of domestic spending accomplished through reconciliation." And Republicans are saying you're not getting dollar for dollar parity. Uh, we're not doing that again in in the regular appropriations process. And you know this is House Republicans are not going to participate in this lame duck spending battle. Uh, and uh, you know I think we're I think Senate Republicans, where you really need the Republican votes uh, to get this over the line, are just pretty dug in on holding those top line numbers down. Uh, I'm shocked, shocked that Senator McConnell doesn't want to work collaboratively to get this done at the end of the year. Oh um, this is par for the course. Uh, if this is going to happen, it will uh, be because uh, the overwhelming majority of Democrats are able to piece a bill together in the House with very little, if any, Republican support. 
and then we'll see uh, what happens in the Senate. Who will have who will win at the end of the day? Will it be Senator Shelby? Will it be Senator McConnell? Uh, I tend uh, not to bet against Senator McConnell unless, of course, it comes to him picking Senate candidates. Who Repeat can after me, David, because we're going to hear it a lot over the next two years. Deficits matter. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, hold on. I think a flag is properly thrown at this point in behalf uh, of Senator uh, McConnell here. You know, on the one hand, the Democrats are trying to take credit for all of this great bipartisanship. And properly so. There was a ton of legislative accomplishment, overwhelmingly bipartisan, except for the stuff driving up inflation, infrastructure, 69 senators, guns, 65, the last defense bill, 88, the China bill, 64, the respect for marriage, 61, I think it was 80 on the railroad strike. So to celebrate all of these legislative accomplishments in every case where Mitch McConnell helped allow these to happen and then to get pissy with McConnell because he feels like the $2 trillion that got jammed over him ought to count in the overall accounting, I think is a little bit unfair to Leader McConnell. You know, uh, you live by the rules and you die by the rules, uh, Bruce. But um, <laughs> since you raised inflation, I can't help but uh, mention here that the price of gas is lower today than it was a year ago. Joe Biden does nothing but win. Uh, we, I think people tend to over um, or underestimate uh, how successful he's been over the past two years here. We've got a couple more big things to get over the finish line in the next you know, three weeks. If it can be done, I think Joe Biden's going to figure out a way. Well, we get back here in January. The new setup, uh, I think House Republicans are finaled out at a five-seat majority. Correct me there if I'm wrong, which is a, which is a tough uh, which are tough margins in a legislative body of 435 members. Democrats will have an outright majority. They've enjoyed a technical majority for the last two years at a 50-50 split because Vice President Harris uh, can break the ties. That's meant that committees in the Senate are evenly split. Democrats have had to spend a lot of time discharging nominees and legislation from the committees when they deadlock. Let's start with the Senate first, uh, what it looks like on January 3rd, 2023. They're going to work out ratios on committees. Democrats probably have in the neighborhood of a one seat or two seat majority per committee. But flying the ointment, Senator Kirsten Sinema, Democrat from Arizona, says she is no longer a Democrat. She's an independent. What does that mean for Senator Schumer's tenuous majority? So I don't think it means uh, um, a heck of a lot uh, with the way the procedure of how the Senate runs, Dean. It looks like, and everybody was digesting this on Friday, really a, um, a earthquake of news uh, coming out of Arizona. But it appears as if she asked Senator Schumer to keep her committees uh, that she currently has. He uh, graciously said, yes, absolutely. You get to keep your committees. And so she will be an independent, you know, not necessarily caucusing with the Democrats, but certainly aligned with them. To me, this is not that different from what um, Senator Angus King has done in Maine uh, since he's been in the Senate and um, Senator Sanders in Vermont. They're both uh, independent who side with the Democrats for things like their committee assignments and on procedural votes. So that is the uh, assumption here where she's going to end up, which would continue to allow Schumer to have that one vote advantage that he so uh, desperately wants to keep fair, things fair running. Enough, fair enough for Schumer on the Senate floor. But uh, what does the DSCC do uh, when Congressman Gallego uh, goes into primary Senator Sinema, a Democratic congressman? Split the primary. We got a three-way. We've got a three-way race in Arizona in a in a in a seat 
Democrats have to keep. Well, boy, um, you know, pop your popcorn and watch what happens down in Arizona, because I don't know how that plays out, Dean. You know, obviously, Congressman Gallego has to make a choice first. Um, He sent out some pretty strong words on Friday reacting to uh, what uh, Senator Sinema announced. Definitely the um, the Democratic Party in Arizona, which tends to uh, be much more uh, progressive than the rest of the state, uh, was out there pretty frustrated with her. Um, at the end of the day, though, look, she if if she does what she's consistently done over the past couple of years here, I know she's been a high profile, uh, maybe not as high profile as Senator Manchin, but pretty darn close, you know. But she's voted very consistently for President Biden's nominees, including judicial nominees. Um, she's generally there on most things for the Democrats here. That puts Schumer in a real bind, and uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm looking for a Gallego to get nominated to be an ambassador to anywhere else that's outside of the state of Arizona. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, for the Dems, the DSCC, I mean, it's, it's sadly for those poor folks, the the Arizona is the least of their problems because in 2024, they've also got to defend Montana, West Virginia, Ohio, pretty red split states, you know, to say nothing of let's, you know, let's do it again in Nevada and Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Yep. Um, it's a it's a really tough year. Um, it is ironic that the new Congress starts with 49 Republicans, 48 Democrats and three independents. Well, let's look over. Uh, that's that's the Senate. Uh, let's look over at the immediate drama in the House. Uh, Democrats, uh, Democrats, I said, avoided. Can we look avoid- back at the Senate more instead? speaker designate he was elected in in the conference but uh kevin mccarthy has got to win a floor vote uh in the house of all 435 members to become speaker uh democrats avoided drama i think for the first time uh since the pelosi era it was really an election by acclamation of hakeem jeffries congressman from new york uh, as the democratic leader uh, but now talked about the margins in the House, and that's 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 Kevin McCarthy's margin for uh, for floor vote to be Speaker. He's right on the bubble uh, with a number of members. Bob Good from Virginia, Matt Gates, and others. Uh, you know, there, it, there there's four or so hard nose. It sounds like, but he's got a he's got a negotiation underway trying to trying to get the votes he needs to be Speaker. Bruce. Is this a is this a one ballot election or or is this going to go multiple ballots? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure which way it goes. I still have a whole lot of confidence that Kevin McCarthy is the speaker and 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 uh, solves for this challenging problem. You know, a couple of different thoughts. Uh, start with first, McCarthy's an inside player anyway, so if anybody can figure it out, he can. There's a negotiation right now with the right wing of the right wing. Those five saying that we don't care if. More than 200 of our colleagues are all aligned. If you don't give us what we want, we're going to shoot the hostage. Uh, And the question becomes how extreme their demands are. A lot of others, even Freedom Caucus types, even MTG, have kind of gotten on board the McCarthy will be speaker train. And so if I had to bet, even if it takes more than one ballot, ultimately these folks uh, don't want to see Hakeem Jeffries as the speaker because the Republican conference divides with you know five to ten folks who, who would rather have nobody win it than uh, than than the person who's not their first choice so i assume a deal gets cut um you know it's dt would is about to mention the fact that pelosi had the exact same margin which is true two differences leap to my mind first you know for she's been the leader for 20 years uh, as the democrats she's built up an immense amount of trust where the left wing of the left wing and the centrists have all 
been able to rely on her word and see that she can get things done. You know, again, I don't agree with her, but all credit to her as a very successful leader. You know, there's there's reason to hope perhaps McCarthy can get there, but you don't start there on day one. Even Pelosi didn't start there on day one. That's trust that is earned over time. The harder challenge is that the left wing of the left wing was never happy because nothing was enough. They always wanted more spending. They wanted more regulation of companies. But giving them half or a third or a tenth of what they wanted was more than zero, and so they would get on board. The challenge that Kevin faces is that the right wing of the right wing often wants nothing. They want no government spending. They want no deal. And it's hard to cut a deal with folks who are happy if no deal gets cut. Look, I, uh, I'm i going to take the uh, under here, uh, uh, sort of not agreeing with Bruce's uh, robust chances, I guess, of uh, McCarthy getting there in the end. Why? Because uh, let's just look what happened back in 2015. Congressman then Speaker John Boehner decides to step down after the visit of the Pope to the Capitol. He'd sort of hit the, uh, the best thing that could ever happen to him. And uh, who is next in line? Kevin McCarthy. And what happened? He realized very quickly he didn't have the votes. Now, he's got a couple more weeks here to try to get uh, this wrapped up. But he has known since the day after the election that he is teed up here and he has not been able to announce that he has the votes yet. With each passing day, I think this gets harder for him, not easier for him. I think there are others who are uh, you know, publicly supportive, Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker, who are quietly sitting back and waiting to see what happens here. You know, We'll see on January 3rd. Can he get it done on the first ballot? Probably not right now. Can he get it done on two ballots, three ballots, four ballots? I think it gets a lot tougher for him. So uh, I'm uh, if I'm watching the popcorn uh, or pop- popping the popcorn for the race in Arizona, I'm certainly going to be doing the same thing to watch the floor vote <laughs> on January 3rd. It's really kind of fascinating. I, Bruce, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, ju- if nothing else, lack of alternatives, any sort of consensus candidate. I mean, Paul Ryan was, uh, you know, was essentially drafted or wanted himself to be seen as drafted into the speakership uh, when when Boehner felt there is no similar figure uh, out there that that can sort of have any kind of consensus in my view. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things uh, at play here in terms of uh, the numbers on the floor, the number of members present and voting uh, that are going to determine what the actual magic number for majority is that McCarthy has to hit. And this little piece of trivia, the speaker's election for the new Congress is overseen by the clerk of the House, uh, a Democrat uh, appointee. David, you're not the only one uh, popping popcorn. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of effort here, shenanigans by uh, by House Democrats on the floor. It's going to take uh, it's it's going to be a real uh, master class in procedural uh, legislative parliamentary maneuvering on January 3rd. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thank you for joining me on 14th and G. God bless us, everyone. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.